So the other night, I won't name names, but someone was looking at the Lesson and Carols bulletin and said, oh, there's no sermon. And I said, you said that a little too excitedly. This is a homily tonight. It's okay. Not going to name any names. Uh, I would like to read from the text that I will share from tonight, just three, uh, four verses. Romans 5, verses 6 to 9. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. A few weeks ago, uh, Leslie and I celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary and As anniversaries are the occasion, you tend to reflect and look back and remember and tell your teenager stories of how you fell in love and met and so forth. And when I think back to that time, there are two uh, experiences, two things that happened that were kind of watershed moments for me. One, helping me realize that I like this girl, and the second, realizing that I love this girl. Uh, the first was she was attending a Bible study I was teaching, and after the Bible study, we carried on the conversation, this theological conversation. And what surprised me was it was misting outside. It wasn't really raining, but it was a heavy mist. And it struck me that she seemed more interested in having this theological conversation than she was worried about her hair. And that impressed me. Um, and I stood there kind of thinking that, impressed. We were talking about the sovereignty of God, as you might imagine two young Reformed people uh, might might, might be doing, and I expressed something to the effect of, if there were one maverick molecule, and without skipping a beat, she looked at me and she said, thank you, Dr. Sproul. You see, I was trying to use a quote from R.C. Sproul as something of my own, as my own original idea, and she would have none of that, and it was that night that I realized there's something here that's worth going after, and so I did. And as you do when you begin dating and get serious, there came the time to take her home to mama and introduce her to the parents. That's a southern saying, by the way, for those of you who aren't southern like me. So I took her down to visit my parents a few hours away, and this was back in the day of uh, film photography. My dad took our picture out by their magnolia tree, and because you had, it wasn't digital, which is weird when you think 21 years ago we didn't have digital pictures. That's strange to me. Uh, but he mailed them to me. And so the next week I get the letter from him and I open the letter and I see the picture and I see this goofy, slap-happy, dumb grin on my face. And I remember thinking, I'm a goner. Like I looked at my face and I thought to myself, I'm done. I'm cooked. Well, Leslie to this day does not like that picture. Uh, She had gone for a motorcycle ride with my dad and worn a helmet. She thinks her hair looks flat. I never noticed her hair because what I see when I look at that picture is the demonstration that I was in love. That's what Christmas is for us. That God showed and demonstrated His love for us. He sends us a picture. Christmas is a picture for us to look at each and every year to see how great 
God's love is for us. And so when we look at the coming of Christ and His birth, we see the evidence that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son for us to die for our sins. In this passage in Romans 5, Paul explains that Christ came to die at just the right time for you and for me. We read in, in Luke's gospel that, you know, in the, the, it's the passage we all know, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. And you, you probably notice I, I change up words when I read these really familiar passages. I know the ESV says swaddling cloths. I'm always going to say swaddling clothes because that's just the way I remember it. And I'm sure I messed up this as well. But the decree went out. This happened in history. God intervened in space and time. Jesus actually came at a point in history, as was promised from the very beginning in Genesis 3, when God said, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And all the way through Scripture is this prophecy. And then the prophecy is then fulfilled at the right time in the coming of Jesus. The why, that's the when of His coming. When we look at the why, Paul says it is to die for the ungodly. That while we were still weak, while we were unable, it, the word while kind of throws us off because it kind of implies that we could have been able. But as we know from Scripture, we're never able. We're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We are unable to do anything for ourselves. It also might make you think that God was waiting for us to get our act together as if we ever could. God wasn't waiting for us to get our act together. We couldn't. He came for us while we were weak in our helplessness, in our hopelessness. Even as Romans 5 says, while we were his enemies, Christ came to die for us. And to emphasize then our helplessness, Paul writes in the next verse in verse 7, For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. The language really isn't clear here as to whether Paul is trying to use these two words as synonyms to kind of reinforce the idea, or if he is kind of painting a picture of two different types of people. The righteous may be like someone who really keeps the law and does everything right. You know, there are people that are like that that you don't really like. So he throws in the good category maybe to, 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 to capture those who are kind and warm. Well, Calvin thought the first and Luther thought the latter, so I'm not about to tell you where to, to land on that. But it, it, it doesn't really make a difference in terms of distinguishing what Paul's point was. It's clear here that it's not normal for someone to lay down their life for another, in particular someone who is their enemy. Now, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And we would look at that, someone who would do that, and we would admire it. But for someone to lay down their life for their enemy, we we have trouble even processing why someone would do that. And that is exactly what Christ came to do. To not only die for his enemies, but to make his enemies his friends. And so... While we like to think of ourselves as friends of God, that's something that comes, you know, kind of uh, easy to think about. It's a little harder for us to think about the idea that we are enemies of God. But this is the state in which we're born. This is how we come into this world. We sin because we're sinners. If you don't believe this, I would invite you to stay in the nursery next service because you don't have to teach a two-year-old how to be self-centered or selfish, or demand, or say that's not fair. That's, I mean, 
it's there in every playground, every nursery, without training. In fact, parenting is doing the opposite of that. You're trying to teach them not to be selfish, not to be stingy, not to take from others. Because this is how we come into the world. We are at odds with God. And so apart from the grace of God that has been shown to us in Christ, we would remain in this helpless estate. But God, Paul writes in verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That phrase, but God, is this interjection into all that is wrong with us. But God steps in. He solves the problem for us. He doesn't tell us to fix ourselves. He doesn't tell us to be better or to try harder. He intervenes and demonstrates his love for us by solving the problem, dealing with our sins. It is in the state as sinners, though, that, that we, again, have trouble thinking like this. We like to think ourselves as basically good people. How many interviews have you seen done about you know, the problems of evil? And pe- It's easy to see evil in other people. Those people do bad things. It's often in other cultures or other parts of the world that we can see this. It's a lot harder to see this in our own hearts and lives because we all want to believe that we're basically good people. But Scripture tells us that we have nothing in our account. Our account is empty. We are sinners. We bring nothing to the equation of our salvation but our sin, which all the more magnifies this love that has been shown to us in Christ, that at the right time, while we were without hope and helpless, God saves us by sending His Son. Isaiah foretold this some 700 years before Jesus was born. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. All there, that's all of us. None of us get a pass on this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This was the plan from the very beginning. The the, the birth and the crucifixion of Christ wasn't a plan B. God wasn't in heaven fretting, wringing his hands, wondering what he would do when sin entered the world. He knew from the very beginning his plan for redeeming a people for himself. And this is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to die for you and me. And then Paul drives the point home in verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Since therefore, these, it's kind of the, you know, the therefore, therefore of Paul. He's really driving the, all, what, all, everything he said now. The whole point is, if we've been justified by God, we're going to be kept by Him that we have nothing to fear. We have been made right with God. The the, the righteous requirement of the law has been kept, which is wonderful, but we've also had our sin atoned for. It's been paid for, which is again wonderful, but we've also been credited with the righteousness of Christ, which now allows us to approach a God who is holy, who we can be called His friends. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. On the contrary, for those who are not in Christ Jesus, it is right and just to fear God. He is holy. He cannot tolerate our sin. He can't just look past our sin. It would go against His very nature, His very character to simply overlook it. Unfortunately, so many people think this about God. They think that God will just overlook sin, that He's just a nice guy. And you know, we talk about God's love being unconditional, and it is unconditional in the sense that it's not conditioned on anything that we have done, 
But it is conditional in the sense that it is only known and expressed through Jesus. In other words, you can't reject Christ and say, God's love is unconditional, I'm going to be okay. It is only in and through faith in Christ that we can know this love that God has shown to us. Then we get the benefits of the love of the Father because of what Jesus has done. That's why Paul states, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God. Then that fruit of that justification then is that we're made righteous before God. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's why Christ came, to reconcile sinners to himself, to make a people for himself. God's plan from eternity past revealed to us at Christmas. Jesus has come to satisfy what you and I could never accomplish. And now, as verse 9 states, how much more can we know with certainty that nothing will separate us, that there's nothing to fear, that nothing can come between us and God, that we who were enemies have been brought near and we have been made His friends. And so I want to encourage you this Christmas to look at the picture that Christmas is. I've thought about this idea of a picture, and I was thinking of how to express this, and a fellow pastor friend posted this quote. It's from Paul Tripp. Everything he writes is gold, so it's almost, you know, it's always worth, it's always quotable. Uh, I think this really gets at, I just saw it this morning. Look into that manger and see the one who came to die. Hear the angel's song and remember that death would be the only way that peace would be given. Look at your tree and remember another tree, one not decorated with shining ornaments, but stained with the blood of the Son of God. And as you celebrate, remember that the pathway to your celebration was the death of the one you celebrate. And be thankful. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, cause us with our mind's eye to capture the picture of Christmas in a way that, 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 that we realize this great love, but God. While we were yet sinners, sent Christ to die for us, to demonstrate His love that while we were enemies, while we were helpless, while we were weak, while we could do nothing for ourselves, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you sent your Son to be born as a baby, to grow up, to live, but ultimately to die for our sins. So we rejoice in that now, Lord, would you cause us as we enjoy all the good things of Christmas, being with family, gifts, the memories that we'll make, the food that we'll enjoy, would you cause all of these things to draw our hearts to you in deep thanksgiving for all that you have done for us in Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.